Welcome to the Crossing Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening. We're glad you've connected with us. Our hope is that God speaks to your heart in a new way through this message. If you're new to the Crossing Church, please feel free to reach out to us by visiting our contact page or by paying us a visit. We would love to meet you. This week's sermon podcast begins in three, two, one. Well, as we said last week, it's easy to get lost in uh, personal finances. How do I know that? Because I know the details of many of your lives, and I know the propensity and the details in my own life. And, and uh, I got to say, many, many of us are lost when it comes to finances. So we continue this morning with a short series on finances and money, and I want you to know, those of you who are struggling, you are not alone. You are among friends. You're among fellow strugglers, which is always nice to know. It's not a great thing, but it's always nice to know you got somebody with you, right? So we continue on. It's a very, very unsettling feeling, like I said last week, when you are lost. But when you finally figure out where you're going, there's a sense of euphoria. But as we said last week, there's a big difference between getting lost and being lost. When you're getting lost, you never know you're getting lost. Like I said last week, I come out of the mall that time, and I know it's down this aisle, but then it's not down that aisle, and now I know the car has been lost, and I'm lost, and it's terrible, and you're running around trying to find it. But you know something? When you walk out of the mall, or when you're getting lost in any area of life, whether it's finances, whether it's personal, you don't know you're getting lost until all of a sudden you realize, where am I? You walk with full confidence, you walk with great assurity, saying to yourself, I know exactly where I'm going. But then you don't. You don't. Usually we get lost, as the video uh, just said, a lot of times because of bad directions. You know what? It's, it's, it's things our parents said, our friends said, the GPS, the, the cravings of our own sinful nature, which tell us that we need more, we need more, we need more. Everything around us seems to point us in the wrong direction, especially when it comes to finances. Sometimes it's not a wrong direction. Sometimes we just get distracted. We start off okay, but then we take a wrong turn somewhere. It's like, you know, and sometimes when you take a wrong turn, it's easy to correct. But then sometimes it's like being on the New York State Thruway. You ever been on the New York State Thruway and you miss your exit? It's 15 miles before the next exit most of the time. And you're like, if you've never done it before, you're going, where is the next exit? I mean, we've got to get off. And it's, it's, it's a big pain in the neck, and you've got to turn around, and you've got to go all the way back. And it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, and it's a big mistake, and it's not easy to correct. Sometimes it's like that. Now, last week, we asked a couple of questions. We said, you know, if you're asking yourself questions like this, how did I get into this debt? Why am I never content with what I have? Why am I always driven to buy bigger, shinier, larger, newer? I thought this was the last one of these I would ever need, I would ever purchase, I would ever lease. Where, where does it all go? How is it that I could make so much money and still feel so much financial pressure? Why is it that I used to make so much money and I look now, and I haven't saved any of it. I haven't saved one bit. You know what? If you ask yourself those questions and you have the wrong answer to those questions, guess what? You're lost. You're lost. It seems we are all sorry about money. We live a lifestyle that chases after our income. So no matter how much money we make, we never seem to find peace. 
That is the very definition of being lost. Now, the reason for doing this short series is twofold. Uh, Number one, if you're lost financially, it touches every area of your life. I believe it touches every area of your life. Listen, when a married couple comes into me for counseling, they're having problems, I no longer wonder if money is part of the problem. I just wait for them to get around to telling me about it. That is the absolute truth, folks. Now, the other reason for the uh, series is more critical. It's because, as we said last week, you cannot be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ and remain lost financially. You just can't. It's impossible. Why? Because he said too much about money. Jesus said more about money than he said about heaven, hell, and salvation all together. If you look at the Gospels, he said too much. You can't separate the two. There is something inside of us that wants to divorce the two and keep them separate, but Jesus wouldn't let his followers do that. See, money is a spiritual thing. Purchases are spiritual decisions, and you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and be lost and have absolutely no intention of ever figuring things out. You just can't. Now, one of the key concepts in this whole discussion that we looked at last week was Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, he said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart what will be also. It's a basic scriptural concept. It's a basic principle. Your heart and your finances are tied together. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 13, he said this, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, and you would think he was going to say the devil. You would think he's going to say the world because you're looking for an opposite. He says you cannot serve God and money. Jesus understood this concept. He understood that the number one competition that God has for your heart is your stuff. It's the number one competition. It's not somebody, it's something. It's our money, it's our stuff. Jesus Christ was not interested in capturing their money or our money. He is interested in capturing our hearts. And he knows that our hearts are linked to our money and our personal finances. He wasn't interested in getting people's money. He was trying to keep people's money from getting them. And there's a big difference. Well, to help that not happen this morning, uh, Kathy read a a parable for us that we're going to be looking at. What I want to look at is what we have and uh, why we have it. What we have and why we have it. So what do we have? Well, folks, for most of us, here's here's the answer. We have more than we need. We have more than we need. I believe that most of us here have have quite a bit extra in our lives. Most of us would be firmly planted, in fact, in the comfortable range of economic categories. And there is an economic category. Most of us have quite a bit of extra. We have more than we need for the basics. How do I know that? Well, I don't know it for a fact. (laughs) <laughs> but let me, let me tell you, I, I, I want to go through a little exercise here. You tell me. You decide yourself, okay? Now, the cost of living across the United States varies greatly, as you know. If you've lived in other parts of the country, you come here to the Northeast, you're going, what? are these people crazy? What do they want for a house here? You know what I could get in? How many times have I ever heard that? Oh, my goodness, please. The cost of living across the United States, it varies greatly. And, and the, the living wage obviously does also. Now, I spent an entire day... A solid day this week going through statistics. I hate to use statistics. You may think, uh, uh, you know, that can't be, he uses statistics, you know, reasonably 
often. He, he doesn't hate them. I do hate them. Uh, the reason I hate them is that if you torture numbers enough, they'll tell you anything you, know, you want to hear. Isn't that true? So when I, when I use statistics, I always try to get multiple sources. And when you're talking about how much people make, especially in the Northeast, you got to go to a whole bunch of sources. So I, I saw one thing, a general gathering of stats. I got it from a number of place, places, but I went to the University of Washington School of Social Work. They came up with a numbers uh, of how much people make based on a whole host of of variables like housing, like fuel costs, like food, like childcare, transportation, healthcare, etc. For all regions of the country, for every state, in fact, not for every state, but in a number of the states, even down to the county level. And in New Jersey, they had statistics for the county level. Now, one way to uh, assess the minimum that you need to survive where you live is something called the self sufficiency standard. The self-sufficiency standard. It's a no-frills budget designed to get you on your own without any type of assistance, government assistance, government help, anything like that. They've come up with numbers. This is how much it's going to cost for you in Essex County, New Jersey, to be able to live. Not to live maybe the way you've dreamed of, but to be able to live, to have transportation, to have enough food, to have enough clothes, to do the things you have to do if you need childcare, to have some childcare, some sort of childcare, stuff like that. Now, the numbers that they put out, and the reason I like their categories, their numbers were from 2012, but I like the categories that they broke it down. We're going to look at them in just a second. I took the 2012 numbers. This one took me half the week. And I upgraded, I upgraded all their numbers uh, considering the cost of living from 2012 to 2016. The numbers that I'm about to give you are the end of June 2016. I am fairly sure by wasting, I hope not wasting, the entire day that I have given you pretty solid numbers, okay, from this study from Essex County, New Jersey. So here is the self-sufficiency standard based, now this is based on your net Income. You know what net income is, right? If you know, if you get two weeks, you get paid two weeks. You get cash. Here's the cash. Okay, I'm gonna get this. Gonna buy groceries. Gonna buy food. Gonna buy that. Okay, you're gonna do that. That's your net. It's after taxes are taken out, after you know all the other stuff that they take out. You know, NI, etc. Here it is. We're gonna look at two categories: single adults making money, two adults. Okay, for single adults, for instance, get this. Okay, the self-sufficiency standard. A single adult, Essex County, New Jersey. Self-sufficiency standard, to pay for everything you need, you have to have a net $24,868.72. Now, some of you are going, what, are you kidding me? Boy, that's, that's ridiculous. Hang on. All right, hang on. If you're an adult with an infant, you need, wow, $42,953. goes way up. The younger the children I found this week, I, I knew that, but I kinda, now I have uh, evidence. The younger the child the more money it costs. As they get older, you need less money. Some of you with older kids say, really? you got to be kidding me, right? You know, he needs a new one of these things to play. Anyway, if you're an adult with a preschooler, $46,340. If you're an adult of a school age, $42,272. Net. If you're an adult with a teenager, you see how it goes down? $32,551. It goes on and on. You could look at it. They had 35 categories in this section with one adult at home, like a single mom a lot of times, that's what it is. Uh, I, I just did 20 because I just, I got to get out of here. You know, I only, did, so I only did 20 in each category. Okay, you could kind of find where you fit there, can't you? It goes all the way down to if you're an adult living at home with three teenagers, $40,974.38. Do you see that? Hang on to that. Let's go to the next one. 
in two adult households. Two adult households. If you are two adults living alone, living in Essex County, New Jersey, $34,186. If you're two adults with an infant, $48,166. If you're two adults with a preschooler, $51,463. You can look at that. If you're two adults, two school age, and a teenager, 63,843. School age is grammar school. Teenager is uh, teenager, is, is, is up through 12th grade, okay? Those are the categories. Infant is below that. Preschooler, you get, we all know what a preschooler is, right? Two, three, four, okay? That, those are those categories. So if you look at that, you can kind of figure out where you are. Now, according to everybody that I have read, these are the numbers that you will need to survive. You're not saving for college. You're not paying for an extravagant wedding. You're not, do, you know, you're not buying a late model car. You're not doing all that stuff on that. But if you go over that, they consider it extra. They consider you then to be entering into something called the comfort zone. And basically, they went up to about 30%. If you're making up to 30% over you know, the self-sufficiency range, self-sufficiency standard, you're in a comfort zone. You got wiggle room. You can move around. You can have savings. You can have retirement. You can have college. You can have spontaneity. Hey, you want to go to a movie tonight? Yeah, let's go. See, if you, you can't if you're on the other side. You can't. But you can if you're in, that, you're in that comfortable range. Now, if you go beyond the 30%, you are capital C, capital C comfortable, okay? Now, what I found... Adding the 30%. For instance, for a single adult who is, you know, $24,000, usually it's, you know, a uh, young adult, something like that. Add 30%, it's $32,328. If you have in your hand, at the end of the year, if you have $32,000 in your hand that you could spend, you're in the way comfort zone. The way comfort zone. Okay? If you are a, an adult with a teenager, uh, or, or back it up, an adult with an infant, 30%, 55,839. If you're an adult with a teenager, that extra 30% is $42,316. If you're an adult with two preschoolers, two little kids at home, $79,682. Preschooler and a school age, single adult, usually a single mom, $57,254. That's with the extra 30%. If you have an adult with two teens at home, $43,000. If you're an adult with three school age children, Number one, what were you thinking? I mean, you know, three school-age kids. Anyway, but uh, uh, be that as it may. 30%, if you add 30% to that, $89,433 in hand. If you have that in hand, if that's your net worth at the end of the year, you are in the way comfortable range according to statistics. Same thing with the two adult households, that other screen. If you're two adults, you know, you can go down. It's 44000 Two adults with an infant, 62,000, 30% more. This is 30% more. If you're uh, two adult, uh, adults and a teenager, 49, go down. Uh, two adults, two preschoolers, 85,000. Two adults with three school-age kids, $94,000. If you get that 30% extra, you are considered in a super comfortable zone, that top range. And beyond that is capital C comfort, okay? Just just to put it into range, okay, just to get it together. Now, what this shows me, what this shows me is that a lot of us are well into the comfort zone. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? I said, I don't, am I supposed to, is he going to tell me to do something now that I, if I say yes? Okay. Having said that, having said that, I'm convinced that some, and I, 
I'm not convinced I know. There are some people in our church who are nowhere near that 30%, not even close. In fact, they are barely, they're barely in that first category. They're barely making it. I know that. And i got to tell you something right now. If you are in that place right now, you need to let me, you need to let our elders, you need to let our deacons know this, because we have many, many, many times anonymously, guys, is this correct? Oh, folks, deacons, are you out there? Say yes. Okay. Uh, many times we have helped people in situations like that. That is one of the reasons why we're here. Those of you who are in that place, all I have to say is that God has promised to supply your needs. Maybe we're one of those avenues, okay? All right? Just want to say that. All right. I think most of us have extra. I think most of us have extra. But here's the question I want to ask. Why do we have extra? Why do we have more than we need? I'm convinced that most of us are not in that desperate place that a few of us are. Most of us have more than we need according to the numbers. Most of us have extra. We have more than we need for the basics, which leads me to ask the question that we never, ever ask ourselves. You ready? Why do I have more than I need? Why do I have more than I need? Even if you believe that you don't. You, you know, you're reading those statistics and you're going, I know I'm in a church group, I can't really say, that's stupid, you know, you didn't want to say that, but that's really what you're thinking, okay? Uh, even if you believe that right now, even if you're reading all that, <clears throat> do me a favor, just humor me. Just go along with me, you know, I spent all week on this, just go along with me and just nod your head, even if you don't agree with it, okay? We're going to ask that question. Why do I have more than I need? We're going to ask the question, God, why do I have so much? Why do I have extra? Why do I have more than I need? You know who asked that question? Or who answered that question? Jesus did in the parable that was just read for us. And I'm going to look at it right now in the time we have left. In this parable, he shows how the typical person looks at extra, but how we really should look at it. Because the answer to this question, I believe, trickles down into every financial decision we will ever make. In Luke chapter 12... In verse 13, Jesus, you know, he, he has this chance encounter. Most of Jesus' teachings were by chance encounters, by the way. But that's, we're not going to talk about that. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's so funny. Uh, he's a rabbi. He's teaching the things of God. So obviously, somebody from the outside thinks he must know something about finances. Remember I told you last week some people come up to me and go, uh, Pastor, uh, where do you think I should invest them? I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. You know, I know this, I, a little bit, this, a little bit, that, not, not really that much. You know, and so this guy came up to him and figured, he's pretty sharp. I just heard a teaching from him. He must know something about finances. He must know something about, you know, legalese and, you know, legal precedents and stuff like that. So somebody died, somebody left money, and this guy ain't getting his share. He's not getting his share. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Then he, very surprisingly, said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what do you mean? Greed? You just, Jay, we're not talking about greed. We're talking about inheritance. I need some advice on inheritance. I don't, you know, we're not talking about greed. Why did you change the subject? You know what? Jesus always had a way of going, seeing a situation and going like a laser beam right to the heart of the problem. 
Because you know what he knew? He knew that this guy was going to be hanging around long. He's got one chance. He's going to give, he's going to give it to him straight, okay? The unvarnished truth, because only the truth will what? Set you? That's the, it's going to, the only thing that's going to set you free, the truth. Lies and saying, well, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe we could find. No, no. See, the truth sets us free, and Jesus knew that. So he's, he goes right to the heart of the matter and starts warning the guy and everybody who's listening about guarding against greed. You know, greed is, is very hard to see in the mirror. When you're greedy, I could see it in a minute. I can pick, pick out greed in five seconds. Uh, you can probably pick it out in me. It's very hard for me to pick it out in me, though. I've had one time in my life, one time when a guy said to me, and this guy is so funny because this guy was a godly guy. He really was. And, and, and he was, you know, he knew the Lord, he knew the word, and he said, you know what, I, I think I'm a greedy person. He's the only guy that I have ever met in my life. I've never had somebody in my office say to me, Pastor, you know what, uh, I, I, I've committed a sin. What is it, you know, my son? Uh, greed. I've never had that. That's never happened once in all the years, okay? Because why? It's so hard to see in ourselves. See, because greedy people, they don't say we're greedy. Greedy people say, I'm a good money manager. Greedy people say, sometimes, I'm careful. I'm a saver. They will say all kinds of things. There is a subtle thing called greed that we need to watch out for, and there are all forms of greed. I have seen greedy people, you may say to me. Pastor Tim, I am not one of them. You know why people would say that? Because it's almost impossible to see greed in the mirror. Almost impossible. Jesus goes on in verse 15, and he says this, another outrageous statement. The guy comes, hey, just, what's, you know, what's the legal precedent here? You know, this guy, we got an inheritance, and he's going, he goes into the greed. Then he says in verse 15, Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, we do not equal what we own. Now, everybody here knows that intellectually. We all get it. You're not, you know, you're not equal to what you own. But emotionally, we don't always get it. You know, uh, could you picture someone from another galaxy, and they have this tremendous telescope, you know, much better than Hubble out there, you know, 500 times stronger. And they're about to get in a spaceship and, you know, get their guys out, and they're going to visit Earth, and they want to see what Earth is like. So they get, you know, they get the telescope, they look at the telescope, and, and uh, you know, I, I think that they would probably come to the conclusion that this is a race of people who purchase and consume to live. Um, they, they, they make it and they spend it. They make it, they go to the mall. They make it, they go to the bank, and they go to the mall. Uh, then they do the whole process over it. Every single day, they go through this process. They get on a train or they get on a bus and they go to school. Then they go out most days and they take stuff out of their wallets and they exchange it for other stuff. And you know what? If they saw this for a little while, uh, it wouldn't take long for them to probably come to the conclusion that if these people stopped doing this, they would die. This is part of how they survive. It is easy to begin to think that we are the sum total of our possessions. The words he used is the abundance of possessions. So, he's talking about greed. He's talking about uh, the abundance of possessions. He's gone way off theme from when the guy, in the guy's mind, he's gone way off theme. Hopefully he's still listening. And he tells a story about this guy in the farming business. Farming business is booming. 
It's, it's doing great. And this poor guy has a real dilemma on his hands. And everybody, you know, they're listening to the story, and they're not thinking he's a poor guy. They're thinking, you know, we really don't care about this guy. But the guy, here's the dilemma of the guy. All right, ready? Verse 17, he says, and this is the guy who's, who's got this booming farming business. He says, uh, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This guy, the crops are so, such a bumper crop that he's got so many, they're laying around. He's going, what am I going to do? It's just, I have so much... I don't know what to do with my crops. I'm sure everybody's, you know, you know, playing the violin for this guy who's listening in this story. I don't have room. I don't have enough room for my extra. I just don't have enough room. So he goes into this story about a guy in the farming business, and, and he says, well, if he doesn't have room, I'm sure that some people are saying this, if he doesn't have room to store things, why doesn't he open his eyes and look around him? Because there's a lot of people who don't have anything. There's a lot of people who, if they saw this little corner, you know the corner of his field here? It would feed not only his family, but everybody in the neighborhood. Because this was an agrarian society. They, got, they went to work in the morning. They got paid in the afternoon. They didn't get paid in the afternoon or at night. They ain't eating at night. See? And this guy's got enough for nights and weeks and months and years. He just doesn't know how to store it. Here's the thing. Greed is tough to see in the mirror. I could see it in him. You could see it in him. Everybody here could see it in him. But see, greedy people think that all the extra is for them. All the extra is for me. And when my lifestyle begins to chase after my income, it's tough to see giving much of it or any of it away. So when my house is full, we build a garage. And when the garage is full, we rent storage sheds. So this guy in the story, in Jesus' parable, he comes up with a plan. He's a good thinker. Hey, the guy's a good businessman. I don't know. You can say anything you want about him. Greedy, this, that, the other thing. The guy's a good businessman. And he's a good thinker, and he's very smart, and he comes up with a plan. The plan's in verse 18. Verse 18 says this. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Good plan, right? Excellent plan. This guy, this guy should write a book. I mean, he really, you think about it, he should write a book. He needs to be on the cover of Money magazine. He was well off, but you know what? He became even more well off and became super rich. Isn't this the guy that everybody wants to be like? Isn't this the guy who runs the seminars? You know, I've made my fortune. I'd like to help you make your fortune now, too. And for $69, you know, or whatever it is, you know, and he's, you will come. And I'm saying, I always say to myself, what do you need the money for then? Why don't you just give it away for free? If you already made your money, what are you giving it away for? Anyway, you know, these are the guys, you know, these are the ones that we're chasing after. These are the ones we want to be like. That's the goal. That's the dream. Verse 19. And I'll say to myself, this is the farmer. You have, this is if he, if he saves everything up. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry, he did, he did the smart thing. He really did the smart, you know what he did? He planned for the future. Here's the problem. He planned for the future, but he didn't plan far enough out. That was his problem. He planned to take care of himself. He just didn't plan to take care of himself far enough out. And his fatal flaw was this. He assumed that, you know, I have X amount of extra stuff, I have X amount of years left. 
Apparently, my life is the equivalent of the sum of my possessions. So I'm going to take real good care of myself. The doctor says I need to lose a little weight. I'm going to get my cholesterol down. I'm going to take the vitamins. I'm going to get on a treadmill every single morning. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to really take care of myself and make sure that nothing bad happens. He equaled what he owned. His possessions became the sum total of who he was. See, the abundance, the extra, was for him. It was for him. His problem was not that he had a lot of extra. That was not the problem. The problem was he didn't know why he had the extra. If we asked him the question, why do you have so much, he'd probably scratch his head and say, well, I guess, I guess so I'll have some later on so that I, you know, I'll have some for my family, have it later. He thought that he was rich basically because one day he was going to need it. I have enough for years to come. Why do you have extra? Why do you have extra? Well, if someone was brave and stood up, they might say, well, I guess it's because one day I might need it. If that's your response, let me just relax. It's a very natural response. It's a very, very, it's a response that most people here would have in a second. Here is what it's all about. He had a lot. He got a lot more. He planned for the future. Okay, I get that. Then we come to verse 20, and we have the pronouncement. Jesus tells a story, and this is what he thinks about it. In verse 20, he says this. But God said to him, you fool. Fool? Really? Yeah, he's the guy that wrote the book. He's the guy, he's got a seminar tonight, you know? Hey, fool? What, are you kidding me? He's the guy everybody wants to be. He's the guy who planned for the future. Can't you just picture it? I mean, you look at this story, you just, you could fill in the blanks. He and his builder friend are working late at night, and his wife comes in. She says, honey, you've been working late for three weeks in a row. You need to pull back, come to bed, leave it till tomorrow. He says, I'll be there in a minute, honey, I'll be there in a minute. He gives her a kiss and kind of shows her the door, so to speak. So the two of them go back to work. They go back to making the plans for the bigger barns. About an hour later, the architect says, look, i got to get home, I, you know. We've been doing this for weeks. Let's, I'm going to leave the plans for you. I'm going to come back day after tomorrow. Tell me what corrections you want. We'll work from, from there. And so the farmer reluctantly says, okay, and shows the architect out into the cool of the night. But he goes back into his office, and his adrenaline is pumping. See, guys like that, their adrenaline is just, we got to get this done. He can't sleep. He, 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 he figures in his mind that he has so much money for the barns and he has so much money for the new addition to the house that he wants to build and so much for the increased taxes that it's going you know, to bring. And while he's, uh, while he's working, it's a knock on the door. And all of a sudden, he feels this presence in the room. And the rich man says, uh, who are you? And the presence says, uh, I'm deaf. Ishmael says, what? This isn't, this isn't happening. What do you want? Why are you here? And death looks at him and says, uh, 
I've come for you. And the farmer says, uh, this is crazy. <laughs> I didn't call for you. You're not, you're, not, you're not in my appointment book. Death says, I don't make appointments. I didn't have an appointment with you, but I'm here. I've come, and I've come to count you out tonight. Ten. Nine. Eight. The other says, wait, wait. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, I, I don't even believe this is happening. But if it is happening, this is not fair. I mean, you never told me you were coming. And Jess said, I never told you? Okay. I told you last year when your partner died. Remember three months ago when you had to wait for the procession, the funeral procession to go by, and you were so impatient because you had business, and they took about five minutes to wait by, and you had to wait? Every time you looked at the obituaries in the newspaper, Oh, I, I, I told you, you just weren't listening. Doesn't matter. Seven, six, five. The rich man says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, take, take, take half my wealth. Take half my gold. Take half my silver. And death looks at him and says, I have no need for your money. Four, three. He says, wait, 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 wait. Take it all. Take all the gold. Take all the silver. Take my house. Take the barns. Take everything. And death looks at him with a sinister smile. Counts him out. I am all for planning. What's more than that, the Bible is all for planning. But in all of his planning, in all of his work, he never gave two thoughts to two absolute truths concerning life. Number one, that life is unpredictable. And the other one is that life is brief. He ignored life's great inevitabilities. Well, the next morning, his wife sees him. He's slumped over the desk. She goes to wake him up. And she discovers that he's dead. There's a lot of weeping. There's a funeral. His best friend gets up at the funeral and he does the eulogy and uh, he says, here is a man that made a mark in his community. You young people here at this funeral this morning, you need to remember this man. You need to emulate him. You need to try to be just as he is. Close the lid. They bring him to the cemetery. The workers come and they bury him. And over that grave, they put a stone with his name the date of his birth and the date of his death, and they all go home. And that night, an angel of God walks into the cemetery, and on that cemetery headstone writes one single solitary word, F-O-O-L, fool. If you arrogantly enter the future mindlessly forgetting that life is unpredictable and that life is short, you may end up a success as the world counts success, but you'll be successful in things that really don't matter at all. And this year will be as last year with your arrogant assumptions conspiring to derail your good desires and your good plans. You know what the Bible says? This very night... Your life is demanded of you. Now, 
Here's the question he asks. Jesus, he's telling the story. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Anyone? Somebody else will get all that's that you prepared for yourself. Somebody else will get all that you acquired. Not because you were generous, not because you made a, a decision, but because you're dead. Simply because you died. And Jesus basically is saying, oh, wise farmer, just as you ultimately did not have control over the crops where there is locusts and there's you know, lack of rain sometimes, in the same way, you have no control over the years that God gives you. You made a few wrong assumptions. You assumed you were the source of all your abundance. And even more importantly, you assumed that all your extra was for you. You thought the abundance of stuff equated with the abundance of years. What was the moral of the story? Well, one of the stories in verse 21. Verse 21 says this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is how it will be for everyone, for anyone who simply stores up things for himself or herself but is not rich towards God. What's rich towards God? What does that mean? To be rich towards God means to give to God's program, to give to those whom God loves. You know one thing God does not love? Stuff. We love stuff. God does not love stuff. You know what God loves? Only one thing God loves. You know what he loves? People. People, people, people. God loves people. People who are physically ill. People who don't have enough. People who are spiritually bankrupt and heading, they may have everything that the world has to offer, but they are heading for an eternity separated from God. To be rich in God is to take some of our extra and to begin to put it towards the things that God is interested in. To be rich towards God is to take the extra we have that we don't need and to put it in to the ministry of the gospel. You know what the ministry of the gospel is? You know who's at the core of the ministry of the gospel? People, people, people. Jesus said a few verses later, same chapter. You can look at it later if you don't have your Bible open. Luke chapter 12, verse 33 said this. After having said this story, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And if you do that, he said, you will provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Giving to those in need when you have more than you need. That's what he's talking about. Being rich towards God is putting what we don't need into the furthering of the gospel and the alleviating of suffering into the things that God thinks are important. He said this guy's problem was not that he had extra. His problem was that he didn't know why he had extra. In Matthew chapter 6, a couple of books before, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, he missed the opportunity to be rich toward God. And this wealthy guy, when he died, experienced total loss. Total loss. He lost everything he had in this world and everything that he could have had in the world to come. He lost it all. 
Someone else got everything he owed, and he was not rich towards God, and he had nothing to show it when his life came to an end. Jesus said, when we take some of our extra and place it in the places that are important to our Heavenly Father, it doesn't determine if we get there. It doesn't determine, you know, how we get there. But it does determine how we're going to live when we get there. It doesn't determine if we get there, but how life will be when we do get there. Our faithfulness with our temporal wealth impacts how we will live in heaven. I'm not going to go into it now, but I believe it's, it's absolutely a truism in Scripture. Those who think that the extra is all for them is short-sighted. The problem with this guy is that he never went far enough in his planning for the future. He never saw past this life, and he thought that all the extra was for him, and when he died, he had a total loss. He missed the opportunity to be rich toward God. He missed it. When I am blessed with more than I need, it's for the sake of someone who is in need. It's not all about me. Imagine. Imagine if we thought about that when we got extra. If, if that was our frame of reference with our finances. Imagine if you, know, you got presented with extra. You went to God and you said to God, well, God, how are we going to use this extra? Could you imagine? I think number thing, I think God would fall up his throne. He'd be like, what? what? You know, somebody actually said that? I, I think it would be so shocking. How are we going to spend this? When I get extra, it's gone before the cash is, the check is, is, is even cashed a lot of times. You know what? For most people. If I have extra, it's probably because God wants it to go to someone in need or something that is working toward helping people in need. When you believe that, your lifestyle quits chasing after your income and everything changes. Everything changes. It breaks the power of invisible greed that we cannot even see when we look in the mirror. We can't see it. The Bible speaks about sacrificial giving. The Bible speaks about percentages. But look, Marion and I have made it a practice in our life that before we do anything else, this is when we didn't have two nickels to rub together, basically. Our practices were given to God first. We don't even think about it. I mean, that's not, this is not like, yeah, maybe we won't give this week. You know, it's a little short. You know, we'd like to put something here, there, yeah, we need a couch. We give to God and we live on whatever is, is left, okay? But even, even with that, a lot of times, there have been times in my life, and I was thinking about it this week, where giving to God, for a long time, we were in that, you know, uh, don't have an extra dime, go to the movies. Now, nah, you know, we don't feel like going to the movies. We can't go. To, we didn't want to say it. We can't go to the movies. We just can't. We've been there. And I got to tell you something. If you're somebody who's in that category, and, and this offering plate or something comes around, or you see a ministry that God touches your heart with, and you give something towards that, I got to tell you something. God does not forget that. You are in a generous category. Like Jesus, remember when he sat outside the temple and, and he's watching you know, people put money and, and this woman came and she gave basically what's equivalent to two pennies, two cents. And he said, she has given everything. We're talking about her in 2016, folks. What do you think her... Do you think there was a kind of a good interest for the two cents in heaven when she got to heaven? I think so. If you're here in that category and you say, I'm giving to God first and I don't, you know, I don't know about... 10 days is the rent. I'm not even sure. Folks, i got to tell you something. And I'm not, I, this is not to get money into our offering plate. This is for you to understand that you have a faithful God. We had to learn. It took us a long time. I'm, you know, maybe I'm a little dense. It takes, it takes a long time to figure this one out. 
But when you figure that out, you, all of a sudden you have no fear anymore. And you give it away because you know it's going towards impacting the lives of the only thing that matters and the only thing that will ever get out of this world alive. People. People, people, people. Until your lifestyle has been impacted by your generosity, you're as greedy as you ever were. You're as greedy as you ever were. We're, we have more than we need. We have extra because there's people in need. People who have not heard the gospel. People who are trying to feed their kids. This is a different worldview. You know, according to the financiers who will come in and tell you about your future. But listen, if we don't adopt Jesus' idea of why I'm full of extra, then we are in danger of one day suffering total loss. Because God gives us earthly treasure in order to gain heavenly wealth. When I'm blessed with more than I need, it's for the sake of someone who is in need. And in the end, someone's going to get all that we have if we're not rich toward God. If God has blessed you, he wants you to share it with someone in need. Don't experience total loss. You know what? God, listen, let me just say this. God's given us a little bit of time. He's given us a little bit of opportunity to do something with the things he's given us that will ripple through eternity. I, I have never met anybody who has been like that, generous, then em, you know, embraced, went back and embraced their former set of values, went back to the way they were. Because now they experience peace, now they experience joy, now they experience contentment. And when I realized all these lessons, it all made sense to do what God has called me to do. People consume their way into financial ruin. It's consumption that drives our destruction. If you apply God's truth, to any area of your life, things are going to go better. This is how God views your extra. This is how he views your money. God gives us earthly treasure. Why? In order to gain heavenly wealth as we support and love those who sometimes can't help themselves. It's sacrifice. And I am so glad as I look at my life that people sacrificed for me. You know, I was thinking about it this week. I am so grateful that in 1951, a small group of believers on Long Island's South Shore uh, decided to pitch a, a tent on the corner of Twin Lane and Wantaw Avenue on, on Long Island's South Shore in, in Wantaw. And they decided to meet together. And they say, we're going to establish a church here because we think there's, there's, there's no really good gospel voice here on, on, in our area of Long Island's South Shore, just off of Jones Beach. And then they, they sacrificed, and, and they, they bought this little Quaker meeting house right next door to where the tent was. And then they got a little bit more, and they sacrificed more, and they, they built this little tiny building. They understood this whole principle of sacrifice, and my mother brought me there. I will meet those people. I know their names. George Washburn was the pastor, planted the church. And I'm going to go up to him, and I'm going to say, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you the ripple effect that your sacrifice made in the lives of just many, many people. Many people. I'm grateful for teachers at a little Bible college that used to be right down the road in Essex Fells that I went to. And, and I found out later that sometimes the professors didn't get, they didn't get regular paychecks. But they were so consumed with investing in young people. It was, it was so important. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful for a home church that helped me pay for seminary, which was impossible. Even working two jobs, taking a full load at seminary, I still couldn't do it. And they stepped in and they helped. I'm so grateful for them. I am grateful for mentors who put up with me by investing their time. But most of all, i got to tell you, and this will be true for all of us, 
I am grateful to Jesus Christ, who was and is the very definition of sacrifice, who left his home in glory to mix with people like me, rebellious people who couldn't have cared less about him. Jesus came down and fleshed God. And could you imagine rubbing up with people whose motives were always mixed, who had evil in their hearts? It would have been like taking sandpaper, 80-grit sandpaper, and rubbing the skin of a newborn baby. That's what it must have been like for him all the time. But he did that, and he sacrificed, and he lived the life I should have lived, and he died the death I should have died so that I could be accepted and acceptable to a holy God. I am grateful for that sacrifice for you. I hope you are. There's nothing I can do to top that, but I could sacrifice what I have in time and talent and treasures. God gives us earthly treasure in order to gain heavenly wealth. He gives us more than we need. He gives us extra so that we can help others in need. If you haven't started earning toward heaven, you could start today.